I'm beginning a series today called Overcoming Intimidation. And I'm really excited about each week talking about a different aspect. I want to thank Dr. McRae for a great message last week on, on defeating anger. And uh, Pastor George the week before about walking in the secret place. I got to see those services later on. Just great ministry. As I uh, prepare this message, let me share something. This is a little prayer to help you on Thanksgiving. Okay? Well, here's a food prayer. Okay. Lord, grant me the strength that I may not fall into the clutches of cholesterol. And Pauline saturates, I'll never mutter, for the road to hell is paved with butter. Cake is cursed and cream is awful. And Satan is standing, hiding in every waffle. Beelzebub is a chocolate. Lucifer is a, lap, a lollipop. Teach me the evil of fried chicken from the south. Lord, if you really love me, shut my mouth. May God help you on your blessed Thanksgiving. Second Timothy is a powerful book. It is a personal letter from the apostle to a spiritual son. And it was written at the very end of Paul's life. Paul was in prison twice in Rome. The first time it was kind of a house arrest. And he had privileges and access and was not uh, grossly mistreated. The second time he's writing from an actual Roman dungeon. So he knows now his life is coming to the end of its race. He said, I've run my race. He said, I've finished the fight. I poured out my life. So he, he knew it. And so he, there's a level of emotional intensity as you study the Pauline epistles that's in this book that's absent from others because of his heartfelt convictions and because of how much he cared for Timothy. So he begins this by saying, let me read a few verses, then we'll talk about them. Second Timothy chapter 1, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, according to the promise of life which is in Jesus Christ, to Timothy, a beloved son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and from Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God who I am served with a pure conscience, as my forefathers did, that without ceasing I remember you in my prayers night and day, greatly desiring to see you, being mindful of your tears, that I may be filled with joy. When I call to remembrance the faith that is in you, which dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and then in your mother Eunice, I'm persuaded it's also in you. Therefore, I remind you to stir up the gift of God which is in you through the laying out of my hands. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and a sound mind. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me as prisoner, but share with me in the sufferings for the gospel according to the power of God. He who saved us and called us with a holy calling not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before the world, but now has been revealed by the appearing 
of our Savior Jesus Christ, who has abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, to which I was appointed a preacher and an apostle, a teacher of the Gentiles. For this reason, I, offer, I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, what a great English word, I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am persuaded that he is able to keep what I've committed to him until that day. Father, thank you for your word. A letter wrote, written to Timothy is a letter written to all of us. We can extrapolate so much life. Anoint your word, your servant, and your people. Show the devil who's boss today. Change our lives in Jesus' name. Amen. This is already, he just jumps right into so many amazing things. When you pray for people, God will often speak to you about things they're going through that you may not have, you know, conscious knowledge of, but the Holy Spirit does. The omnipresent Holy Spirit knew Timothy, the pastor at the church of Ephesus, was having some issues. So what's written is written in a beautiful prophetic response. He said, I pray for you night and day, and as he's praying for them, then these epistles would flow from his spirit, from the Holy Spirit, really, to, in this case, Timothy. And so he begins to address things. But I want to begin the first point when he said, your grandma was awesome. Grandma Lois, your mother is a powerhouse, Eunice. And he said, I'm expecting the same kind of faith in you. My first point is this. Generational blessings are more powerful than generational curses. We, maybe it's just my experience, but sometimes in especially the Pentecostal charismatic world, there's an overemphasis on generational curses. And that all comes from the Ten Commandments. In fact, there's kind of a rich dialogue about understanding what that is in the Bible, but in Exodus 20, God said this, one of the commandments is not to fall into idolatry, you shall not make yourself a carved image in the likeness of anything that's in heaven or it's in the earth or in the water, you shall not bow down to them and serve them, for I am the Lord, your God, I'm a jealous God. I visit the iniquity of the fathers upon the children to the third and fourth generations of those that hate me. In that regard, he, he said, idolatry is so harshly felt by God, it is a betrayal. But the, the last verse of this commandment says this, but I show mercy to thousands of generations to those who love me and keep my commandments. God says there's a temporary hit. Now, an iniquity is a sin that becomes a stronghold because a person won't repent of it. So it's a sin that takes over territory, becomes a governmental, uh, you, you know, stronghold in a person's life. And when that happens, so the sins I don't conquer as a father become the controlling curses my children have to face. So I'm motivated as the father to, to conquer sin so it doesn't affect them. But here's what God said. Yeah, it's true. There's a three or four generation layers of difficulty that can happen. But he said this, if just one person serves me, there's a thousand generations of blessings. I need you to get this because your faith in God is creating a legacy and a generational blessing in the earth. 
Maybe you're the first Christian you know of. When, when we were trying to understand our family, it was Grandma Gaskin, which I think was Grandma Maiden's mother. Grandma Gaskin, we found out, was just a powerful intercessor Christian. And that's the, we're kind of the only Christian that we could find. Grandma Gaskin went in heaven years and years ago, but she's got like, I don't know, seven pastors now in her family. So, so there wasn't one Christian, Grandma Gaskin's, on her rocking chair, praying for her family. She was always, I just have a few memories of her, always joyous, always a Bible on her lap. She's praying for us. And now she's in heaven watching a bunch of history makers come up from her family. A thousand generations. Your faith in Christ and your following of Christ is changing history. You're making a different kind of future for your family. And you're making a difference. And sometimes we live to see it. Sometimes we'll see it from heaven. But God says it's true. Amen. The second thing Paul said to Timothy was, he, had, he was feeling Timothy's struggle. And he said this, verse 6, I remind you to stir up the gift of God, which is given you through the laying out of my hands. So it was an impartation, you know, some kind of presbytery or prophetic word. Paul said there was definitely something that happened in that moment. But that gift, Paul said, I, I perceive that you have an unused gift in your kitchen. And you're trying to make things happen, but you haven't even opened the box of that blender or that my wife's got an air fryer. It's changed our life. Shandai Mandai. Everything's half its time, and we're, we're, we, so we air fry everything now. Is that right, honey? Yeah. So we thank Matthew and Candace for introducing us to this hip modern invention. But God said to Timothy, he said this, you're asking me to help you with something I already helped you with when I gave you that gift. You have an unused gift that's going to deliver you from the season you're in, you're asking me to help you. I've already helped you. God always prepares us for the future, but sometimes we don't acknowledge that preparation or those spiritual gifts. The word gift there is the Greek word charisma. Hey, you've heard that. Charisma. We call people in kind of the, the fullness of the spirit charismatics. That's one phrase. People of the gifts. But charisma means a spiritual gift, a miraculous faculty. It means a grace, a gift of God's grace, a free gift. And charisma comes from the Greek word charis, which is the Greek word for grace. So what is the gift of the Spirit? An expression of grace. So one of the ways that grace meets our needs is through spiritual gifts. The word charis comes from the Greek word kara, which is the word for joy. Every time I flow in a spiritual gift... I'm activating grace, and I'm entering into joy. They're all together. It's such a beautiful, beautiful union of meaning there. And so he said this, don't, don't ask God why he's not helping you when he's already put inside of you the things will help you through what you're going through. Well, Pastor, I need a new prophecy. What have you done with the last prophecy you've got? What have you done with that? I'm, I was in a platform, 1986, maybe 87, in California, and uh, 
this prophetic guy named Bill Hammond, a great prophet, said, you're going to write two books. And Mary and I, on a stage like this, a thousand people there, I started laughing out loud. And everybody said, oh, he's so happy. No, I was so unbelieving. Write books. That takes discipline. And, not, you know, I, 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 did, I didn't see my, the last person I wrote was Mary when I was a Bible college student when they unplugged my phone because of a huge bill. So I learned to be a letter writer. And so I, but I didn't, I wasn't mad at Prophet Bill. I said, oh, that's, that's nothing. I got home and God stopped speaking to me at the church. And, and I, I, I got nothing. If God's not talking to me, I got nothing. I don't have an acute enough personality to do this without the Holy Spirit speaking to me. So I said, Lord, have I done something? Why have you stopped speaking to me? And he said, why should I give you a new word when you rejected your last word? And he said this, I don't tell people about just the things they're doing. I tell them about the things they're supposed to do that are inside of them. I uncover destiny. I uncover gifts. Come on, you need to get this. Because there's all kinds of spiritual potential in us that's um, sometimes asleep. And, and so we want to be stirred. Our, our culture is stirred. The passions are stirred. Lots of things are happening. I, I leave Arizona for two weeks and the whole state falls apart. <laughs> I'm still trying to catch up to what, what's going on here. And my point is this, that as believers, we have the power to stir ourselves. See, sometimes the preacher's not there. Sometimes you've got to be your own encourager. Pastor George preached about that. You have to preach to yourself. You have to talk to yourself. You have to stir yourself. I often, when people say, what, Pastor, what do you do? I pray in my heavenly language all the time. I don't know how to pray for you always. In fact, most of the time, Holy Spirit prays through me. It also stirs me. It, it it, it awakens my faith. The Jude's verse 20 says this, building up yourself in the most holy faith, praying in the spirit. When I pray in my heavenly language, there's a consequence. It is powerful. Paul told Timothy in 1 Timothy 1.18, I charge you, Timothy, according to the prophecies that were made concerning you, that by them you do a good warfare. So what I did when I took that cassette tape back, if Google it, young people. It's an ancient recording device. I put it in the player, and I memorized my prophecy. And the prophecy was I would write two books. I said, Lord, I'm the writer of books. Thank you. Books are in me. I didn't know it, but you see them. Thank you. for So just like that, God gave me a book called The Joshua Generation. I just finished writing my 19th book. Now, I would have written none of those books if I hadn't covered, discovered a gift. How did I find it? A spiritual revelation, a spiritual gift made it known to me, made it, made me aware of it. So God wants us to flow in these spiritual gifts. When it comes to like prophecy, people say, uh, Pastor, you prophesy good. And uh, how do you do it? Well, here's how you do it. You ask God for the gift. Prophecies for everybody. So picture this in heaven. There's a gigantic warehouse filled with undelivered mail. And every time you prophesy, you show up and say, do you have a letter that you want to deliver to someone, a love letter? You take it to, that's what I do all over the world. I've done it a couple hundred times the last two weeks alone. So God 
God loves to encourage people, heal people, bless people, do all kinds of things in people's lives through prophetic word. Gave her a prophetic word to a high-functioning witch a couple weeks ago, and now she's a high-functioning believer. Just like that. One word. One word can shift everything. One word from heaven. Uh, God's so good. God's so good, church. He's so good. 1 Corinthians 14.1, pursue love, desire spiritual gifts, and especially the gift of prophecy. So, so it just means this. The people are hurting, and prophecies brings encouragement, edification, and comfort. Prophecy it encourages people, it heals people, it strengthens people. And God is looking for more candidates that can do that. Amen? So stir up your gift. We do that through worship. We do that by reading our Bible. We do that through prayer. We, we keep ourselves stirred. Now, you know, I've been doing ministry a long time, and I've noticed that almost always no one backslides all at once. No one's on fire for God, and then on Monday they're completely backsliding. They backslide when their temperature just starts lowering, and the flame starts diminishing. And before long, they're giving themselves permission to do things that they wouldn't have given themselves permission to do before. So God wants us to recognize that refuse to live in spiritual apathy, refuse to live in compromise or indifference. You and I are the stewards of our souls. Keep your fire burning. Now, our... Sometimes our church can feel intense to people that maybe, <laughs> I put a funny meme a few weeks ago about uh, when a person comes first time to a church like ours, they're like, what's going on? Wow. And I, I, I recognize that, but, but we don't have time in this moment in history to not have a full and fire church because people are hurting and Christians need encouragement and the devil's on a rampage and we want to keep our temperature hot. I want to keep burning for Jesus, amen? I, don't, I love that I get to do this around the world. It's a privilege, but I want to keep my temperature burning bright for God. The flame of the Holy Spirit feeds off of the fuel that you feed it. If your flame has dwindled, it's because your fuel has decreased. Ever had a campfire? Anybody ever had a campfire? Anybody watched a movie with a campfire? <laughs> so Mary got, Mary got us a new fireplace that's just electronic, just fake. So we got the beautiful flames, and, you know, it's, it's cool. It's, I guess you don't really need a fireplace like a real one, although we have a real one upstairs in Arizona. You get to use it two days a year. Well, actually, this time of year, you, we go through three seasons in one day here. It's 38 in the morning, 55 by noon, and 74 by 2, you know. So sweater in the morning and a short sleeve shirt by afternoon. And when you build a campfire, you have to keep putting fuel in it. 
the Holy Spirit didn't leave you. You just stopped feeding the fuel. Mary and I, beautiful Mary and I, have been married next year 44 years. And yeah, the awesome thing about living long enough, you get applauded just for being old. And we have, our marriage is as good as it's ever been. Right, honey? Shake your head. Thank you. She obeys me, but it's hard. Just kidding. <laughs> I just offended 20 women with that. So what we do, we don't take our marriage for granted. We go on dates. I, I write her love letters still. I still flirt with her. You with me? I still open the door. I still kiss her. I still make her morning coffee. I do whatever I can. I still chase her around the house and occasionally catch her. <laughs> so we've, we've worked on a good marriage is intentional. A passionate walk with God is intentional. Well, pastor, well, people say, Pastor, you just have because you're a preacher. Are you kidding? I know more backslidden preachers than believers. My, my calling doesn't keep me strong. My passion for God keeps me strong. <clears throat> my hunger. Don't ever lose your hunger. Prayer rekindles our fire and stirs our gifts. When we stop praying, we'll watch a decreased momentum in our walk with God. Worship rekindles our fire, stirs our gifts. When we study and meditate on God's word, it rekindles our fire, stirs our gifts. Oh, God help us. Third point. Paul said this. The Holy Spirit said this. Timothy, God's not given you a spirit of fear. but of power, love, and a sound mind. Next week, I'm talking about heavenly power encounters. I get to see them literally all the time. People coming to Christ for service. Had an amazing thing happen all the time. Person has an encounter with God, his power, his life. And amazing things happen. God's not given us a spirit of fear, power, love, and a sound mind. So, there's two words, primarily two words in the New Testament for fear. One's phobos, where we get the word, our, you know, our fears. All, all kind of fears, every kind of fear falls under that. And this is a different word. It means intimidation or timidity. Now, if there's one thing that's happening, it's that the devil's trying to steal the voice of Christians. He's trying to intimidate them into silence or whatever. Intimidate, manipulate, and dominate us. So we want to be Christians that, that don't bow to culture or don't bow to whatever's happening. We want to overcome. So Timothy's, by the way, Ephesus was a pretty sinful city. Known for its pagan worship, all kinds of things. And so Timothy faced all kinds of things that were happening. And Paul said, fear is not from God. In Genesis chapter 3, Adam and Eve sinned. When they sinned, the first negative emotion that happened was fear. God showed up in the afternoon. He did every day in the cool of the day to have an afternoon walk with his spirit, his son, Adam. And Adam's not there. God shows up in the garden, in the perfect garden of Eden, and, and can't find it. I said, Adam, where are you? And Adam's hiding behind a bush. And, 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 and Adam says, 
I heard your voice and I was afraid because I was naked. I ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So he sinned. It changed. Sin brought fear. Before sin came, Adam and Eve did not know what fear was. Can you imagine being completely, utterly, 100% fear-free? Well, the kingdom of God helps us make that journey, okay? Psalm 34 says this. David said this. I will bless the Lord at all times. When? All times. Never a bad time to worship. His praise will continually be in my mouth. The humble shall hear of it and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. Then he gets down to nitty-gritty. I sought the Lord. He heard me and delivered me from all of my fears. All my fears. David had a demon-possessed king wanted to kill him, faced incredible odds, conquered a giant. And David said, I've learned how to conquer my fear. Here's what he said in the verse before. When I magnify God, when I take my focus off of my problem and put it on my God, my problem shrinks and God's presence is enlarged. We can't make God bigger than he is. He's already omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent. He's already sovereign and lacking nothing. But when I focus on him, he becomes bigger to me. Anything my soul looks at enlarges. My soul's a magnifying glass. And so when I'm looking at the wrong thing, it becomes huge to me. But when I magnify the Lord, what happens? My fears begin to run away. I sought the Lord. He heard me and delivered me from all of my fears. God wants us to be free from the imprisoning, oppressive presence of fear in our lives. Can I have an amen from this Presbyterian church? So God will help us. First John 4 says, verse 18 says this. For God has not given us a spirit of fear. So fear is not from God. Fear is from the devil. Fear is from sin. Fear is from my mind not being in, in connected with God. Here's what he said. There is no fear in love. Think about this thought. The antithesis, we used to, I, I, you know, we used to say the opposite of fear is faith. And I, I think there's some, you know, deductive reasoning sense to that. It seems like that's a truism. But in the Bible, God says the remedy for fear is love. So when I'm afraid, it's just showing me a part of my heart that needs an encounter with God's love. There's no fear in love. Come on. God wants to love the fear out of you. Let me, this is a t-shirt I keep threatening to make. Let Jesus love the hell out of you. My, my wife said, I, I, I don't know. No, maybe. I don't know. So, so fear is a sign I need to experience God's love. So fear is always a lie. Fear manipulates, fear torments, fear hinders, fear oppresses. Fear is my enemy. And God wants me to conquer it. God wants you to conquer it. Amen? 
Psalm 46 says, God is our refuge and our strength, a very present help in time of trouble. Therefore, because of who God is, present, helping, powerful, therefore we will not fear even when everything falls apart. When, you, when the wrong person wins the election. When the economy shaken some more. When the, 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 man, the media, I, Jesus forgive me, the media is your enemy. You know why I feel so good? I have had like, like six, but like, like 14 weeks of travel with no TV time. No media time. No brainwashing time. No psychological warfare time. Well, this report came out. Shut up. I tried to watch the BBC for like five minutes. Okay, I'll stop there. I have British friends. I don't want to hurt them all. So God wants us to conquer fear. Come on. You are going to live fear-free next year. You are. Okay. Last point. This my message. Paul said this. Okay. I've experienced some trouble. And there is in our Christian faith moments of persecution, moments of intense pressure. He said this in verse 12. For this reason I'm suffering. He's writing from prison because he's a Christian. I suffer these things. Nevertheless, what a great word. Nevertheless, I know whom I have believed. And I am persuaded, just stay with me five minutes, okay, that he is able to keep that which I've committed to him unto that day. Now, here's my point. Are you persuaded about who God is? Because if you're not, it's hard to believe his promises when you don't trust his person. What, what, what are you saying? Well, if, if you believe God's good, if God's loving, if God is kind in the nature of his being, because you know him. See, often scripture is manipulated, misinterpreted, and used harshly and hurtfully by people that know scripture but don't know the author. Come on. So God wants it. So Paul said, I know him. I've given everything to him. If he wants me to live, I'll live. If this is my time to go, I'll go. He said, he's going to keep it all. He, you're in his hand, Timothy. He's going to keep you. Paul said, I've given everything to God. The church at Ephesus, Colossia, Philippi, Galatia, the church at Rome. I've given it all to God. The church at Corinth. It's all in God's hands, and God will keep it. When, even when I'm gone, God will keep it. I know God. So one of the benefits of being a worshiper is it reacquaints you with the nature of God. So we feel often loved in worship. Anybody besides me? I feel like I'm taking a love shower. Oh, 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 oh. Woo. I'm being reacquainted with his nature. So when I read his word... I understand his motivation. I understand his heart. It helps me. 
And then, it, then I can trust. Are you persuaded? Do you really believe God is good? The more you know God, the more readily persuaded you'll be to believe that he's able to guide, protect, provide, heal, deliver, bless, and transform your life. The level of my trust in God will always be determined by the depth of my understanding of who he is. I've had a mission, Pastor Joan would know this, my whole ministry can be summed up in a couple things. One of them is God is good. I preach it around the world and that God has a destiny for people. I always come back to those things because they so dominate my life. And when life got hard for me, I had to win the eternal battle that I believed God was good when life was bad. That God was for me when life was against me. That God had my future when my future looked bleak. I know him, Paul said. He's good. He's faithful. He's just. He's kind. He's patient. He's, he's committed to fulfill his promises to us. The Bible says this lastly. Romans 4, that Abraham staggered not at the promises of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God, being fully persuaded that what God had promised, God was able to perform. Well, Pastor, how do I know God can heal me? Uh, because he's not a liar. And he said, by his stripes we were healed. First Peter 2.24. And, well, Pastor, how do I know God is for me? Ah, oh, I'm glad you asked. If God be for you, who can be against you? He that spared not his only son, but delivered him up for us all. How shall he not also with them free to give us all things? Who will bring a charge against God's elect? It's God who justifies. It's Christ who justifies. So the Bible invites us to know him. And when we know him, it settles us. I'm going to be okay because I have a loving Father. I have a loving Savior. I have a loving Holy Spirit that are all committed to the purpose of God being fulfilled in my life, the will of God. To help me be more like Jesus. To fulfill God's purpose through my life. And he is going to finish what he's begun. And he's going to keep what I've given him. And he, thank you for listening to me today. Would you stand your feet, please? <clears throat> Turn to someone and say, God's got this. Don't forget tonight's prophetic healing service. It's going to be amazing as the Holy Spirit moves. Prayer team, if you'd please join me down front. Conrad and Azul are incredible young people in our church. Youth directors here, if you have a burden to help young people, well, I'm hoping a hundred of you do. Because our next assignment is to have a youth revival here. And we've got the right people kind of moving in the place. It's going to happen. God's going to do it. As we close today's service, great seeing Teen Challenge in the house today, guys. And uh, the most important thing in life is what you believe about Jesus Christ. Eternity hinges on who you say he is. 
The Bible says if we believe in our heart and confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, we're saved. For with the heart, we believe in the righteousness, unto righteousness, and with the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. If you've never confessed Christ as Savior, if you've never received him as your forgiving Savior, we'd be so deeply honored to pray for you today. He's for you. He loves you. If you don't know you're saved, if you don't know you're forgiven, if you don't know what that means, don't, don't leave. We'd be so honored to pray for you. If you've been away from God, welcome home. Welcome home. There is mercy for your mistakes. And we'd be honored to pray for you today. If you're hurting in your body, maybe in your heart, your mind, we believe in praying the prayer of faith for those that need a touch in their body. As per the promises of God, if you're just going to see Pastor Man, I'm just going to the hardest season ever. We'll be, we're here to pray for you. Anyone that needs prayer, if you join us, church, just for 90 seconds more, would you take the time to worship God while people come forward to receive prayer today? Death could not hold Jesus loves you like crazy. God bless you.